Good morning, Lee Summit, Blue Springs, Independence, all of you watching online. We're in a series, we are rebuilding broken things. The book of Nehemiah chapter four this morning is all about rebuilding broken walls and we need to rebuild some broken walls around our life. That's what Regen is about. Listen, I wanna give a shout out to Benji and Misty watching right now from Columbia, Tennessee. They're gonna be a part potentially of our online campus launch. Would you help me welcome them right now to Abundant Life. We're so thankful for Benji and Misty from Columbia, Tennessee. And let me give a shout out to the Nashville area. They are looking for some community, Christian community. If you're watching also from anywhere in the Nashville area, if you'd give me a holler, shout out this week, message me. I wanna connect you to Benji and Misty potentially. So many churches in that area are shut down, not meeting. Uh, the body of Christ is isolated and we wanna connect people in community in Nashville, Tennessee, in that particular area specifically. So it was a number of years ago, my youngest son was a freshman in high school and if you have kids that age, you know eventually they go through a class called uh, child development. And they bring home this little baby doll that's a robot baby. And the little baby is meant to cry at all hours of the day or night. And you gotta burp the baby, you gotta change the baby, you gotta feed the baby. And it's a week-long project. A lot of their grade is built on how they do, how well they take care of this little baby. And I knew my son was gonna have a long week. When I looked out the kitchen window that first afternoon, he was playing football with some buddies. He had the little baby doll on the driveway, and one of his friends threw a Hail Mary pass, and the football landed like right next to the baby, like a bomb, right? But you know, Josh is an innovator. He's very creative. He'll figure out how to go about, you know, whatever he has to do. And so by that first day, he realized, you know, this is a lot of work taking care of a baby. So the next day I found that baby and this is what it looked like. He had duct taped the baby doll, of course with KU duct tape, because you get points off every time the baby's head goes like this, right? So he figured out what to do. He's just gonna duct tape the head and the neck and no, no more, you know, none of this. And then you know the baby cries in the night and needs to be fed, he duct taped the bottle to the baby's face. Now, I'm not that worried about it. I think he's gonna be a great dad someday. I don't think he's gonna duct tape my grandkids. I don't think so. All right, but this is what I want you to hear me say today. When it comes to raising our children, there's no duct tape solutions. It's hard work. There's no duct tape that you can apply. We're talking about real solutions, not duct tape solutions. And today I wanna to talk about that very thing, building strong walls around our families. Nehemiah chapter four and verse 14, it says this, remember the Lord great and awesome and fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. The year is about 445 BC. Nehemiah has gone back to Jerusalem to rebuild those broken walls. In ancient days, a city without walls was an easy city for the enemy. And you see, the city had been broken into by the Babylonians 150 years earlier. They had torn down these walls. They led away all the Hebrews into captivity. 150 years later, Nehemiah goes back to that city to rebuild those broken walls. But there was opposition immediately. Do you understand? There's going to be opposition you face daily against your family. And the enemies are real. 
And that is why right now, Nehemiah says, remember the Lord, great and awesome, and fight for your brother and your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. It's gonna take a combat mentality to fight for our families as a mother and a father. It's gonna take a warfare mentality for the sake of your sons and your daughters. And what is happening historically is a man by the name of Sanballat was not looking for this Jerusalem city to be rebuilt. He wanted a weak city. He wanted to see the Jews, the people of God, in a state of vulnerability, not strength and power personally. And so the opposition was real, and he's rallying an army to come against Jerusalem to keep those broken walls in a state of ruin. And that in some way is a picture of what we're facing in the 21st century as families. And in that moment where this army is marching against them, Nehemiah rallies the people, and he says, fight for your brother and your son your daughters, your wives, and your houses. And I'm convinced today that to effectively fight for our families, we must correctly identify the enemy. Uh, We must know the MO of the adversary. Most of you know back in the 90s, I was a cop. I was a SWAT cop. And I know before you can catch the bad guys, you've got to understand the bad guys. You've got to set up a little intelligence on the adversary. And only once you know his moves are you ready to make your moves. Well, here's the reality. We are in a war for our homes. We are in a war for our marriages. We are in a war for our sons and daughters. And we have an enemy that we cannot see. And he's the one pulling the strings behind the scenes. Ephesians 6, 12, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, rulers of darkness of this age, spiritual wickedness in heavenly places. Church, I am convinced there is a satanic spirit that has been unleashed on our nation and our generation. And when you see the crazy things happening physically, it's merely a reflection of the warfare in the spiritual realm, I'm convinced. And Jesus describes Satan as a thief that comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Do you understand? He's a thief that wants to steal your children, destroy your children, and ultimately kill your family. And that is why Nehemiah says we're going to have to fight for our families against real opposition, a real enemy that we cannot always fully see. And what that means is we have to fight effectively. We need to know his MO. Now, I'm convinced we have some intelligence on the adversary in Nehemiah 4, beginning in verse 1. The principal villain in the story historically of Nehemiah was a real person that lived in the real past. But remember, the Bible is more than history. God gives us this history because in some way, it's our story. It says in Nehemiah 4, 1, but it so happened when Sanballat, there's the principal villain, heard that we were rebuilding the wall, that he was furious and very indignant and mocked the Jews. Who was Sanballat? Well, historically, he was a very powerful chieftain at the time of Nehemiah from an area of Samaria that was just north of Jerusalem. He was known for, one, being in control. He was like in charge of this region, and he did not like the idea of a strong Jerusalem. He did not like the idea of a strong Jewish people. And so he comes in opposition. He is indignant. He is furious. He does not want those broken walls to ever be rebuilt. And in some way, God gives us some intelligence on our adversary. Watch this. I do not think anything in Scripture is accidental. I think it's all providential. And God has embedded Sanballat into this story because Sanballat's name means, watch this, his name means sin gives life. 
You see, that is the worldview of a society in rebellion against God. Sin gives life. Sin promises life. When Romans 6, 23 says the wages of sin is death. And every single day, our children are being taught that sin gives life. Sin is the way to life. Sin promises to give life, but in the end, it can only bring death. It is death to families, death to marriages, death to finances, death to friendship, death to relationships. I want you to see the wages of sin is always death. Sin brings ruin, but every day our children are hearing, no, sin brings life. And I want you to see that though we consider ourselves now an enlightened society, We live at a time, statistically, where there's an all-time high of depression in our generation, an all-time high of addiction in our generation, an all-time high of STDs among America's teens in our generation, an all-time high of families that are going through chaos, confusion, division, and divorce. I want you to see sin has not brought life to our generation. Sin is bringing death to our generation. Sin is a liar. And Sanballat has a name that means sin gives life. Now sin, watch this, sin was the name of the Sumerian moon god at the time of Nehemiah. We're getting more intel on the adversary here. You see, this man Sanballat hated the people of God and he hated the living God because he was a worshiper of counterfeit gods. Like our modern society, Sanballat followed counterfeit gods, which is why he hated God and the people of God. You need to understand what we are facing as a society, what we're facing as Christian families. Listen, we're not facing an opposite worldview. We are facing an opposite religion. You hear people say, well, the problem in America is that we're becoming a godless nation. No, that's not true. The problem in America is not that we're becoming a godless nation. It's that we're becoming a nation of many gods. We've created the God we want instead of simply believing in the God who is. Here is Sanballat. He is a worshiper of the moon God. He is a worshiper of a counterfeit God. And now you can begin to see why he hated the Jews, the people of God, and he did not want the people of God to be strong too because they were a threat to him. A strong Jerusalem was a danger to him and a danger to his kingdom. Yet we can see this worldview everywhere. And every single day, our children are being bombarded with the the lies of the enemy being bombarded with the lies that will take us into captivity. Do you understand that what we're seeing as a society is a society that's being taken captive by the lies of the enemy? And he wants to take your family captive and your children too. Counterfeit gods, false gods. And you see it everywhere, the worldview. Just this past week, our own U.S. Congressman Emmanuel Cleaver, an ordained minister of the United Methodist denomination, opened up the 117th Congress with a prayer, and he ended that prayer like this. Now many, now may the God who created the world and everything in it bless us and keep us. May the Lord make his face to shine upon us and be gracious unto us. May the Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon us and give us peace. Peace in our families, peace across this land. And dare I ask, O oh Lord, peace even in this chamber now and forevermore. And right now, all the people of God are saying, Amen. Yes. Hallelujah. 
I mean, yeah, who wouldn't want that prayer? I mean, he's quoting here from Numbers chapter 6. He's quoting the Word of God. He's quoting here the true and living God. And then it completely goes off the rail from there. All right, here, here's how he ends this prayer. We ask it in the name of the monotheistic God, Brahma, a God known by many names and by many different faiths, a man and a woman. This is, this is not political correctness gone crazy. This is blasphemy. From the lips of a Christian minister. Now, not only does amen have nothing to do with men, it's a word that means so be it. Let it be. But, but he ends this Christian prayer quoting the God of heaven and then naming a Hindu god by the name of Brahma. Brahma is the creator god of the Hindus. Yet we live in a world where opposite things can still be the same. The same God he quotes from Numbers chapter six is the same God that said, Hero Israel, the Lord your God is one, and beside me there is none other. No, Brahma is not the same thing as the true and living God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And by the way, the Hindus worship a million gods of which Brahma is only one. Now, God says, I am the only one. Hinduism says, oh no, I'm just one of millions and millions. I don't know if you've thought about this recently, but opposite things cannot be the same. The same God of many different faiths and many different names. No, different things aren't the same. Am I crazy? <laughs> we live in a generation that's perfectly okay with contradiction. See, this is the worldview our children are being raised in, and it's important we understand because what you have is truth embedded with lies every single day. And the principal purpose, if we're gonna fight for our children and raise up our children to know and love the true and living God in a world of distortion and deception, listen, our purpose as parents is to teach our children to live in truth and not by lies. To walk in the truth and do not walk in lies because it's always lies that lead people into captivity. It's always lies that sell us into the hands of our adversary. Do you understand? 150 years before Nehemiah went back to Jerusalem to rebuild these walls, the children of Israel, the people of God, had turned from the true and living God. They began worshiping false gods. They fell into idolatry, and God promised, if you go into idolatry, it will eventually take you into captivity, and that's exactly what happened historically, I would suggest that's exactly what is happening to our society. And for some of our families, we're in the name of political correctness. We have abandoned biblical correctness. Listen, truth is not the enemy. Truth is our ally. Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Do you want your children to walk in captivity? No. Then to teach them the truth. What God has said helped him to walk in the truth. Because every single day, there is a serpent more cunning, Genesis 3.1, than any beast of the field. Listen, he is subtly impregnating the truth with lies. We are watching one of the prophecies of the end times emerge before our eyes. Revelation 17.5 describes the end times church as a prostitute. Oh, God doesn't care about hurting your feelings at all. 
In fact, specifically, you can look it up. Revelation 17.5 describes the end times church as a harlot, the great whore of Babylon. You know why? Because she has prostituted the truth of Christianity with the lies of the enemy. You have now a supposedly Christian minister of the United Methodist denomination praying to the true and living God, ending it with the God known as Brahma. Listen carefully. Jonathan and Charles Wesley that launched the Methodist movement would be rolling over in their graves. In some way, that's a picture of what's happened in the church. And you've heard me say many times, as the church goes, so goes the nation. A nation in chaos and confusion. Now here's the deal, if you want your children to walk in truth, guess what, mom and dad? Your life has to embody the truth. You have to live in the truth. You have to be walking in truth. We live at a time social scientists call postmodernism, the post-Christian era. A postmodern mind decides what is true like this. Does it work? See, your children, when they think about Christianity, when they think about the faith of mom and dad, every single day they're looking at mom and dad, they're not asking, is their faith true? They're asking, does it work? And if they decide it doesn't work, then it must not be true. And that is why many children leave the faith when they grow up, because they've decided, man, this doesn't work. I mean, look at mom and dad's life. It's it's crucial that we embody the truth, that we walk in truth, that we show them Christianity does work. Because in so doing, they're deducing that it's true. That's a postmodern mindset. That's how they decide what is true and what is not. Well, if it works, it must be true. It's not enough just to take them to church and put them in Sunday school if our lives are in complete chaos too. Because every day they're asking, is it true? And they're answering that question by this, does it work? And so I want you to see that we must build walls with gates around our families to raise our children to be godly. Walls are for protection, gates are for preparation. So what's Nehemiah done? He's gone back to Jerusalem. He's building these walls of fortification. We're going to be a strong city again after 150 years. We're going to build these walls to protect us on the inside from the enemies on the outside. But listen carefully. He doesn't just rebuild the walls. He's building gates. You know why? Because the walls are to keep things on the outside of in, but the gates are to let things on the inside go out. See, the Jews were the people of God. God blessed them. Why? So that they could be the lighthouse to the nations. Now, I'm telling you this because fear-based parenting will always just build walls in our children's lives. I'm going to protect my kids at all costs. All right, that's good, but that's not the end. Because the goal is not simply to raise strong, safe kids, it's to raise strong kids. See, if you just keep them behind the walls forever, they may be safe, but they're not going to be strong. Eventually, you got to start gradually opening up the gates, gradually, so that they have to start exercising their spiritual muscles against the external forces of the world. And that's the only way they're going to be strong. And so listen, godly parents must build strong walls around their kids in the early years and then gradually open the gates in the later years. You do this prayerfully. You do this wisely. You do this strategically. Listen, good parents give their kids lots of attention. Great parents give their children lots of intention. It's not enough to give them a lot of attention. It's about having intention. 
So in the early years, you're building these walls of protection. And as they hit about fifth, sixth, seventh grade, you start slowly opening those gates to let things on the inside them shine the light on the outside to a watching world that is dying and in darkness. See, that's the goal. Not just that they stay safe, but they become strong. And so uh, this is the concept. You build the walls high in the early years. Why? Because you don't have to be a child psychologist to know the most formative years of any human being is the earliest years. I mean, we pretty much believe what we believe. We are what we are by the time we're about 10 years of age. I could take you to my last house that we built 15 years ago. Other people live there now. We moved out about five years ago. But even though other people are living in that home, I could take you to that driveway where there are three little sets of handprints and three names underneath those handprints. You know why? Because that concrete was soft. It was easily moldable. And we put those little handprints in the concrete and their little names underneath them, even though they're grown up now. Now listen carefully. You could not do that today. Why? Because that concrete has been there a long time. It's no longer moldable. It's not shapeable. That's the picture of all of the human hearts. That which goes in the human heart the earliest goes the deepest and lasts the longest. So for Krista and I, in the early years, we homeschooled. We wanted to have high control over what affected and began to shape our children's heart. Now, you don't have to homeschool to succeed, but I'm telling you this, even if you're not homeschooling, there better be some home education. People ask sometimes, well, Pastor Phil, should we homeschool, Christian school, public school? I tell people, it does not matter as much what happens in the church house or the schoolhouse. It's about what happens in your house. I can tell you success stories of homeschool families, and I can tell you ones that not. I can tell you success stories of public school families, and I can tell you stories that not. You see, in the end, I'm convinced how you educate your children is a matter of your family and what's best for your children. If it's home education, Christian school education, public education, but in the end, it's not what happens in the church house, the schoolhouse. It's about what happens in your house. You have the most influence over your children. If you will leverage it with intention. So either way, it's about in those early years, build the walls high. You have to have extreme control over the influences in their life. And years ago, as a young dad, I read a book by Tim Kimmel. I still uh, recommend it to this day. It's by Tim Kimmel. It's called Why Some Christian Kids Rebel. And this graph came out of that book. Uh, And you can see the concept of building walls and then gradually opening the gates. From birth to about 10 years of age, you have high parental control. You're the gatekeeper of their life. But about sixth grade, somewhere in there, you start gradually opening the gate so that by the time your child becomes 18 years of age and he leaves your home, now he has high control, you have low control, and I just have to remind you, either way, one day, you're gonna lose control. You better prepare them, not just protect them. And the goal is to gradually give them more and more control while you step back and release more control so that they are now exercising their spiritual muscles against the external forces of the world. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, some of us, if we have little ones, we need to put up some walls. Do you realize that when you give your child a smartphone, you have thrown open the gates? You no longer have any control over what they're exposed to. 
I can tell you to Sean, one of our student pastors told me, I don't know the kid's name, I didn't ask, 16-year-old kid in our youth group, addicted to pornography, hands to Sean his phone and says these words, I can't believe my mom and dad gave me this much responsibility. You heard Miles' testimony this morning. Do you know statistically, on average, when a child is exposed to pornography, they are eight to 10 years of age. And it happens on their phone. If you haven't seen it yet, you should get on Netflix. The number four rated documentary is something called The Social Dilemma, where they actually interview the creators of the technology that has changed the world completely forever. I'm talking about the digital platforms like Facebook. And to hear one of those creators say, I will not give my kid a phone till he's 16. Quote, middle school is hard enough. That's one of the creators of the technology. And so for some of us, here's the problem. In our life, in our homes, in our families, we either have walls with no gate or we have all gates but no walls. Wise is the parent that knows how to build the walls of fortification and then gradually start opening the gates. For us, we homeschooled in the early years and then about fifth, sixth, seventh grade, we put them into public school. Why? Because they could now go with a mission mentality and it, it has to be a running conversation. You cannot just ever decide now you're on your own. No, no, you, you have prepared them, not just protected them. Now, what are some things you wanna do? First of all, you wanna get on our website. If you have uh, students or if you have uh, young kids, uh, our family ministry at Abundant Life wants to partner with you. We're not going to parent for you, but we're going to partner with you so that you can be fully equipped to succeed to fight for your family. Livingproof.co slash family. You'll find several things on here. First of all, you'll find the Journey Today show. The Journey Today show is a video of about 10 minutes. It's great for baby kindergarten through about fourth grade. And it gives you the opportunity to have a conversation and ask questions around a lesson they learned on a Sunday morning. You should have a, this goal, at a minimum, this goal is that you will have one faith conversation a week with your children, at least one. And the Journey Today Show will help you do that. This is how kids are learning in the media-driven age. The second thing you're going to find is a map and a manual about specifically what to do in various seasons of their life, how to build those gates, practically putting handles on that for you, and then how to start, uh, how to start opening those gates, specifically various uh, seasons of the life. You need a map, you need a manual. The third thing is this. Uh, we're launching a homeschool ministry this year. Now, we're all for public education. We're going to keep supporting our public schools. But there's more and more families homeschooling for various reasons. And we want to support you. We want to help you. And we're going all in with the homeschool ministry to help homeschool families succeed. And that's what you can find on our family ministry page. What are some things you want to do? Most of all, you want to shape their heart. Daniel 1 and verse 8, but Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. Who was Daniel? Well, 150 years before the time of Nehemiah, the walls of Jerusalem had fallen. Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian army had defeated those walls outwardly, and he began leading away some of those Jewish boys into captivity. Daniel was one of them. Now, we don't know anything about his mom and dad, but what I know about his mom and dad, having never met his mom and dad, is they could see the walls of their nation falling. They 
could see the walls of the city falling. And while the walls on the outside were falling, they were building walls on the inside. They built walls around Daniel. And that is why by the time he goes into Babylon, he purposed in his heart, I will not defile myself. Mom and dad, listen. It's about shaping and shepherding the heart of a child. It is never about the head. See, we thought if we just brought our kids to Sunday school and we crammed a bunch of Bible down their throats and made them memorize 129 Bible verses that they'd grow up to love Jesus and they didn't. You know why? Because it can't just be academic. It's about the heart, shepherding the heart. And I'm trying to tell you today, listen mama, listen daddy, the way you shape your child's heart is by showing them your heart. The way you shepherd your child's heart is by letting them into your heart. It's not just telling them what to do. It's giving them the why. It's giving them the what. And it's letting them into your life. Uh, I told my kids early on, guys, listen, I I know everybody else is going to date when they're in middle school and pursue the opposite set. I'm trying to tell you guys, listen, I want you to hang on. Don't pursue a romantic relationship until you're old enough to get married because it's just going to end in drama, trauma, temptation, frustration. Now, I let them into my heart. Here's the reason, God, I want to guard your heart. Let me give you a story. This is my story. I'm 16 years of age. I'm at my grandma and grandpa's for Christmas break. It ought to be the happiest time of my life. But I remember being at my grandma and grandpa's, a Christmas vacation, and crying myself to sleep because my girlfriend just broke up with me. See, all of a sudden, you're letting them into your heart. And you're connecting now with their heart. This isn't just now telling them what to do, it's letting them inside of you, and now they know why you feel the way they do. I wanna guard your heart. Listen, it's not just telling them don't have sex till you're married, they've heard that, yet the STD rate among America's teens is higher than it's ever been. The issue is not abstinence, the issue is integrity, it's purity. Hey guys, listen, God wants to give something better to you. He's not trying to take something away from you. Now some parents feel like, well, I'm a hypocrite. If I ask my kids to do something I didn't even do, wait a minute, as parents, don't we all want better for our children than we did for ourselves? I mean, isn't that the goal? Let them into your heart. I let my kids into my heart. I let them see the scars of sin in my own life. And all of a sudden, you're connecting on the heart level. And that's what Daniel did. He, he, he purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. He was taught ahead of time to thrive in Babylon. And every single day, Babylon is coming after our children. We live in a Babylonian society. Counterfeit gods everywhere in opposition to the Christian worldview. What are some things you wanna do in the early days? Give your children a godly identity. Daniel immediately is confronted with a different identity. Daniel chapter one says the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar wanted to train him and school him in the language and literature of the Babylonians. You know what he's trying to do? Daniel, you're no longer a Jew, you are now Chaldean. You know what God wants to do for your children? Give them a godly identity. I know who I am, and no one can steal it from me. But what is happening is our children every single day being told, no, you are not a Christian. That is not your identity. We will give you your identity in this Babylonian society. We will school you in the language, in the literature, in the customs 
of a Babylonian worldview. What are some goals in those earliest years? We've got a thousand people looking to find their one in two years. Someone to lead to Christ. If you have little ones, they're the most important ones. You want to introduce them to their need of a savior. They need salvation because they are a sinner and they need to be born again. And that can be done in the earliest years. Now they have an identity. I am a child of God. I know my part in this great grand story of God, this redemptive story. We would take our kids in those early years to the mission field for a week. And we would take them to Latin America on these short-term trips where they learn to live for Jesus by advancing the mission, by advancing the gospel. See, that was very formative in those early years. And today, listen, I didn't raise any preachers that I know of. I didn't raise pastors, but I'll tell you something. I raised kingdom warriors. I raised kingdom contenders. And that's the goal. No, they're not just safe, they're strong. And they're gonna live missionally, the end of the spear for Jesus. Number two, train your child in godly authority. Daniel is a name that means God is my judge. And immediately he got to Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar renamed him Belteshazzar. It means Bel protects his life. Nebuchadnezzar wanted to take away his godly authority. God is my judge. No, you now have a new authority. It's a Chaldean authority. It is a counterfeit God. And you understand everything we're seeing in our society of anarchy is because our society has abandoned all authority. There is no standard authority. Everyone does whatever is right in his own eyes. What happened in the Capitol this week is reprehensible. It's anarchy. It was an assault on our government. But I was astounded by the hypocrisy this week. Because the same politicians that were calling it domestic terrorism and an insurrection stood by silently and said nothing while American cities were burning this past year. As six square city blocks were taken over by anarchists in Seattle, Washington, where they declared their sovereignty from all local, state, and federal authority. Yet they stood doing nothing, called it a block party, an art fair. No, that, that was called an insurrection. It's been years in the making. It didn't just happen. It started 50 years ago when our nation decided we will have no authority. God is not our authority. God is not the law giver. And when God is not the law giver, it leads to lawlessness. If God is not the law giver, it leads to the law of the jungle. And that is where we now live. Anarchy, chaos, confusion. Now, bring that down to the personal level. A child never learns that God is my authority. He is destined to live a life of anarchy, chaos, confusion, ruin. Teach your child to take you seriously. Mom and dad, I don't know if anybody's told you this recently, but you're the authority in your home. You're it. God has said you're it. If they don't learn to take you seriously, they will never learn to take God seriously. And that's why the prisons are full of people that never learn, I have to obey the law. 
give them a sense of my authority. My final authority is the word of God and the son of God. It gets the final say. It shapes my beliefs, my behavior, my vision, my values. Number three is this, teach your child a godly morality. By the time my children were in fifth grade, they all knew where babies come from. They knew exactly how babies are made. I told them everything. Yes, their faces were red, mine was too. But if they don't hear it from me, they're gonna hear it from someone eventually anyway. I wanna be the one. They knew how babies are made, how the boy parts work with the girl parts. They knew what homosexuality was. They knew what pornography was. You know why? Because I knew I'm about to start opening up the gates and they're gonna encounter pornography and I want them to be ready when they do so they know exactly what to do. It's a godly morality. We're living in a Babylonian society where it's an anything goes mentality. Sleep with whoever you want, whenever you want, however you want, who's God or anybody to tell me what to do. Yeah, we'll see how that ends up for you. The wages of sin is death. It will always be death. It's a universal truth. I just need to say this today because you might not have heard it recently, but it is still a sin to sleep with someone you're not married to. And that's the message is not just for our teens. Some of us middle-aged singles need to hear that too. Amen. It's still a sin. It's not gonna end well for you. God loves you. He's not trying to take something from you. He's trying to protect you. He wants something better for you. He's your father. Yeah, guess what? Marriage is still between a man and a woman. I didn't decide that. Jesus said it in Matthew 19, verse 4. That hadn't changed. God hadn't changed his mind on that either. He hasn't. He, he, he loves gay and lesbian people like he loves you and me. Love is not the issue. God never tells you in Scripture who you can and cannot love. He does tell you who you can sleep with. That's the issue. Give your child a godly morality. Prepare them for marriage. Help them see there's a prize on the other side. And this is not a one-time conversation, one and done. No, it's a running dialogue. Something you talk about over and over again. Here's the deal, when you tell your kid you can talk about sex, now they know we can talk about anything. Nothing is off limits. You connect with them on the heart level. I don't have to be ashamed. I don't have to be humiliated. Listen, don't shame your children. Shame drives people into secrecy. Don't shame them for anything. That's a tool of the enemy. You want them to talk to you or not? I'm so ashamed of you. Never say that. God's not looking at you going, I can't believe you. No, that's not how he, he's disappointed for you when you sin, but he's not ashamed of you. Those are two different things. Now, what do you do in the later days? You start opening up those gates, help your child define their vision and their values, their life vision and their values. So about middle school, we did this with our kids. We got together, we made Hopper family values. Values are what you are. A vision it do, is about what you do, but you do what you do because you is what you is. 
I know that's not great English, okay? I know, I did that on purpose. Here's the point, it's about shaping their heart. And so we came up with Hopper family values. I framed it for them, put it in their rooms. I don't know if you can read this, but we have five values as a family, doing everything for God's glory, serving sacrificially, humility, tenacity, integrity. That's what it means, be a Hopper. That's what it means to be a part of our family. We're gonna do everything for God's glory. We're gonna serve others sacrificially. We're gonna walk in humility, live with tenacity, and live with integrity. Now, I had all my children come up with their own life vision statement. Here is Josh's, the same kid that duct taped the baby. Josh's life vision statement, to stand alone. Where'd he get that from? I'll tell you where he got that from. He got it from his old man. Son, you're gonna have to stand alone. Stand alone with tenacity, integrity, and humility. Do not follow the lazy man, and you will bring his name glory. He did that in middle school. He just graduated from college. This is who he is today. Nobody just becomes that. As parents, it's our job to shape their heart to become that. Uh, the second thing is this, mark important moments and mile markers on their way to adulthood. And on that map and manual, you'll learn how to do this. I gave my kids purity rings when they were in seventh grade and began to call them to sexual integrity and purity and prepare them for marriage. I gave my son swords. We had a sword ceremony. You know why? Because I want them to be warriors. And my daughter grew up to be a warrior. In fact, the best warrior in my family probably has two and a half foot length blonde hair and blue eyes. She goes by McKay, a warrior princess, because I want them to see we really are at war and we are called to be kingdom contenders, not kingdom pretenders. And so you mark those moments along the way in their development, maybe seventh grade, high school, graduation, and you call them up to a greater, grander vision, give them a clear definition of what it means to be a godly man and a godly woman. Why are there so many men with grown up bodies that are still little boys on the inside? Because nobody's ever told them what it means to be a man. How do you know when you become a man? How do you know when you grow up? A real man rejects passivity, accepts responsibility, leads courageously, expects the greater reward, God's reward. I'll never forget my oldest son, Jake, when he was at Mizzou. I knew when he finally became a man. You know why? Because he was telling me all the temptations he was facing and all the opposition that he was facing. But he had not buckled. He had not caved in. He was choosing to do the hard thing and go for the greater reward, God's reward. I'll never forget the day I knew it was time, son, you are now a man. You are a real man. He crossed the threshold. You have daughters. Give them a working definition. Proverbs 31 gives you the definition of a real woman, something like this. A real woman pursues a life that is godly and the inner beauty of virtue and humility and answers her God-given calling to nurture and love her family. I just made that up this morning. You can use it if you want to. But you have to have some working definition. It becomes part of the language. So then reject passivity. I know you got homework. Turn off ESPN. Reject passivity. Accept responsibility. It's part of the language now of your home. 
The opposition is real, it is great. And that's why Nehemiah said in verse 18, every one of the builders has his sword girded at his side as he built. I love this imagery, this picture. You had a shovel in one hand, you had a sword in the other. They were both building and battling. They were ready for battle even as they built. And that is the picture of the Christian life. A sword in one hand, a shovel in the other. We are called to be builders and battlers as sons and daughters of God. I want you to see, says, then I said to the nobles, the rulers, and the rest of the people, the work is great and extensive. Mom and dad, raising a family is great and extensive. The work is overwhelming and we are separated far from one another. That's why you need community to be in a group, because you can't do this solo. Wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us, and our God will fight for us. We need to remember that our God will fight for us. Your God is fighting for your family. He will fight for your marriage. He will fight for your sons and daughters. If you will fight for him, he's gonna fight for you. Let's rally together as a church family. I want you to stand with me right now. Let's do that together. Right where you are, maybe online, just stand with us there, would you? Before our God, let's rally together. Jesus, I lift up every mom and daddy here, every family. The opposition is great. The opposition is real. But greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. I pray God in heaven for these children, for these sons and daughters, that God, they would grow up to be strong men, strong women, to know and love you all the days of their life, that you would guard them from the wicked one, from the sin and temptation and the opposition of this Babylonian world we live in, that Jesus, you would fill our homes with your presence, your power daily. In the powerful, precious name of the Son of God, we pray it. Amen. Would you give him glory?